A lot of us have heard about the term offshoring, but there's another phenomenon called reshoring, which is bringing jobs back to America. What does that mean for people, for companies, and for America as a whole? Welcome to There's a Better Way, a podcast series focused on exploring how operational excellence principles can provide solutions in your personal and professional life. Each episode, Dr. Arvind Chandrasekharan, professor and academic director at The Ohio State University Fisher College of Business, will sit down with a prominent expert or faculty leader to discuss problems we face in our world today. This program is brought to you by the Master of Business Operational Excellence. Welcome to There is a Better Way. I'm here with uh, Dr. John Gray, Associate Professor of Operations and Associate uh, Director of the Center for Operational Excellence. Welcome to the program, John. Thank you. John, can you tell us more about yourself? Sure, yeah. So um, uh, I was an engineer as an undergraduate and then worked for eight years in operations management at Procter & Gamble. And while I was there, I became interested in kind of outsourcing and offshoring decisions that were being made that I was part of. And I uh, actually went to get a PhD to study that uh, back at UNC starting in 2002. I've been here at Ohio State for 12 years. I teach data analysis and global sourcing uh, at all levels here. And then I have one research stream looking at quality and other risks in offshoring and also a stream looking at managerial decision-making in offshoring and reshoring. Thanks, John. That's helpful. So today we're going to talk about reshoring. So you mentioned that um, you've been studying offshoring and outsourcing, and we hear this term reshoring a lot nowadays. Can you tell us more about what is reshoring? Sure, yeah. It's basically it's a location decision, as is offshoring. Um, reshoring typically implies that somewhere in the past the company chose to perform an activity offshore. And by the way, offshore is not really precise. Um, typically, we think of China and Asia and Eastern Europe and, and low-cost areas as offshore, but uh, really kind of any other country could be considered offshore, although it's not clear if for a company from Detroit, you know, uh, having worked out in Toronto is really offshore. But so reshoring is basically taking what was uh, an activity that was performed offshore and then, and then bringing it back to the domestic country, in our case, the U.S. And, and why is it coming into prevalence nowadays? I know that uh, in the current administration, there is a, 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 a conversation happening saying that we want to bring jobs back to the USA. Is this anything related to this reshoring idea that you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, I mean, first of all, every administration in my lifetime that I can remember would talks about bring, bringing jobs or ha keeping jobs in the U.S. or creating jobs in the U.S. Uh, really, it was, it was almost a bigger um, trend during the Obama administration, really unrelated to Obama per se. But because uh, a lot of the offshoring occurred in the 90s and early 2000s, and there was really a rush to, to the newly open markets in China and India and to take advantage of the low costs. And so reshoring was uh, partially driven by some bad decisions to offshore, mm -hmm. where it was done at the at pressure of customers or, or focused entirely on costs. And then a lot of uh, hidden costs were realized, and so people were bringing it back to, to remove those. And also the costs have changed. So the costs in the low-cost areas have gotten higher. Shipping costs have been volatile, um, so there's various reasons why, why people are bringing things back. So can you give me an example, John? This is interesting because there are some jobs, there are some things where you want to send uh, manufacturing outside the U.S. and it could be economically feasible. But there are some products, there are some things where it is not possible or it is, even though there is cheaper labor outside the U.S. that can do it, there could be some other risks, as you mentioned, that could actually um, outweigh the cost that happens. So give me some examples of products that you can think are better off making in America versus sending it outside the America. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty big list where it's potentially better. It has a lot as much to do with the strategy of the firm than specific products. So certainly anything where engineering and R&D and manufacturing need to work together, biotechnology is an example that's always given. Um, it's helpful to have the, the, the manufacturing activity local. 
Um, but a lot of it has to do with strategy. If you're, if you're trying to respond quickly to customers, um, having a, a lengthy supply chain is a real challenge there. Okay. So, John, I've also been reading a lot about some of the prominent U.S. companies claiming that they're bringing jobs back. So I read an article about Apple saying that they're bringing about 20,000 jobs back, General Motors bringing about 30,000 jobs back, and Boeing and so on and so forth. What's going on here? Are these jobs, as going back to what you just said earlier, are these jobs that should have never been outside the U.S. and they are now like doing a damage control of bringing jobs back? Or is, is the economy booming here? that allows these uh, companies to say we have more talent here and more manufacturing capabilities that we can have these manufacturing done here? What's going on? Yes, yeah, so I don't, I don't, I didn't study those specific um, <clears throat> examples that you gave. Um, and so I already mentioned kind of the, the realization of the challenges in, in offshoring. I think there's a, there's a, a little bit of a bias to uh, reporting too. So you'll hear about these, people will tout these, especially under the current administration. But if you look at the trade data um, and, the, and the export and import data, there's really not a flood of, of jobs coming back. In fact, the A.T. Kearney Reshoring Index indicates that reshoring, uh, at least uh, their, their evidence of reshoring peaked a few years ago and has actually been declining or leveling off. Okay. So, it's, it's, so what you're saying is that the reports tell you that there's not a lot of jobs coming back as, as it's been claimed by the administration, not in the public press. There's a lot of uh, churn in jobs. There are jobs coming back, but there also are jobs continuing to be offshored. Um, and so these decisions are constantly being made. <laughs> so, John, the, the focus of this podcast is there is a better way to do things, right? So, uh, can you tell us more about, is there a better way to think about uh, offshoring, reshoring decisions? Sure. So, um, I actually have some research in this area, and, and, and there is definitely a tendency uh, of managers making reshoring, offshoring, or really any kind of um, sourcing decision to focus heavily on kind of the measurable factors, costs. So there's, there's kind of natural human tendencies and also incentives at many companies in procurement and sourcing organizations that really reinforce the, the, those natural human tendencies. So a better way is, is to really uh, start by thinking through how, let's talk about reshoring and offshoring, how those will affect the things your customers value, like responsiveness and innovation and, and customer service, and, and try, to, try to quantify those, you know, try to get a sense of how important that is before you get anchored on, on cost, and only after that kind of look at cost. Um, so that's a kind of better way to make the decision. Um, and then from an operational excellence perspective, clearly, uh, you know, there's a lot of waste removed when you do reshore. So with the operational excellence lens and kind of value stream mapping all could directly um, uh, reinforce the value of, of, of local production versus offshore. That's very helpful. So going back to the, uh, the whole idea of reshoring, I, I want to go back again and see again. Let, let's say that... Um, there is a product out there, and uh, the product has, um, there is a lot of capabilities within America to make that product. But then these companies, uh, after doing all these uh, decisions, end up uh, outsourcing this product to be made in a different company. Wouldn't that be, a, wouldn't that give a bad image, again, given the, the push that we have right now about make, make uh, products in America again, here your uh, decision making uh, criteria tells you it's it, you're better off to actually make this product outside, and and you see that again that could have a negative connotation among the consumers, right? What's your take on that? Yeah, so I mean, if you if you again to to my earlier point, if you start with what the consumers value, if your consumers actually do value made in USA, and and um, I think there's a relatively small set of products where consumer choice and consumer decisions really are are driven by that, mm -hmm. um, or the reputation effects of being of being uh, called out, for example, for 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 laying people off. 
Uh, but if that's something that your consumers value, um, that should certainly be an important factor in the decision. In a lot of cases, if they really do, and you talk about losing, you know, one percent of your sales or some 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 pretty small number, that that often can totally wipe out the savings that would have been generated from offshoring. Okay, and and even this also brings another interesting point, John, because uh, we also see uh, organizations are correcting themselves. Um, we we used to uh, think about uh, a, a, a Japanese company called Honda. And we used to also think about another Japanese company called Toyota. And 30 years ago, you buy a, a Toyota Corolla or a Honda Accord, uh, those used to be made in uh, the, in Japan. It's no longer the case right now. We have uh, Toyota uh, cars being made in Kentucky. We have Honda North America right in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, isn't there a, a move from the organizations to say, let's not even go to the reshoring. Let's actually create manufacturing facilities back in the U.S., for consumers that are out there getting my products, is is that is that happening more and more with organizations becoming more multinational? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the most of the multinationals have operations kind of everywhere they're selling. Okay, so a lot of the offshoring, reshoring discussion we've had to this point was thinking about the demand is in the U.S., the headquarters in the U.S., and then where do I do the manufacturing? In the case of Honda and Toyota, a lot of the demand is is in the U.S., even though they're Japanese companies and, and the European auto manufacturers also make here. And so um, there's a lot of benefits to being close to your customer, as, as, as we can imagine from, from an operations and logistics standpoint. So there's a whole lot of companies in a whole lot of industries that, that are not U.S. companies but have manufacturing and or service operations here. It happens all the time. Okay. And, and also going back to the, um, and we, we hear this a lot nowadays, uh, going back to what you just said about um, one of the things that a company should make is like if the customer's values, response, and timeliness it's better off keeping their uh, manufacturing done within the U.S. itself, right? I want to go back to this comment that you just said because um, it, it, every now and then, nowadays, uh, we all we can all talk about global uh, climate change and all those things. That is actually affecting the way a lot of products are getting back to America. So we've been seeing increasingly hearing a lot of news about uh, port at uh, the port delays and airport delays and all those things, which could affect. Um, the, the cost of bringing products here and the, the customers waiting for their products. Do you think this reshoring initiative has to do anything with that at all? Or? I, I, uh, actually, we did research with small and medium companies, and the, and the environmental impact of their decisions was not uh, part really a formal part of their decision-making process. Um, I think for some of the larger companies, though, it is. And certainly the, the, the electricity and the power generation in low-cost countries tends to be more polluting. Not to mention, of course, the cost of shipping. Again, we're still thinking about cases where demand is in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think it's increasingly going to be important, not just from a environmental standpoint, but also as the costs of energy um, continue to rise, because then it'll be a direct cost that, mm. that I've, as I've already mentioned, people are are good at accounting for in their decisions. Um, so yeah, I think it's it, it. I don't think it's been a big player so far, but I think it will continue to be more important. Okay. And if you were to like shift the focus from America, John, for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Are com- uh, like countries like Britain saying there is a be- there is a better way of doing reshoring in Britain? So bring back jobs in the Britain. We have heard a lot about Brexit. Are, are, are like Latin American company uh, countries saying okay, we've got to keep our jobs within Latin America? Do you see the, a trend like that going on around the world? Or there's a there's actually a lot more research in Europe than the U.S. on reshoring, and seems to be uh, more attention. Uh, I think most of it because of the term reshoring is more in the high-cost countries, so countries that have kind of done the low-cost offshoring in the past and now are looking at bringing back um, jobs they lost. I haven't, I haven't heard too many, and this just maybe I haven't looked for it, but too many, you know, make it in 
in Brazil or, or places like that arguments. Because I like the last time uh, um, I read about something that was happening in India, uh, the the current prime minister of India uh, came into power. Uh, and his campaign was make in India. Oh, okay. Well. Same idea of okay, we've got to like, keep our pro- uh, our uh, products and manufacturing done within India. So I I, I do see some trends going on uh, and locally within several regions of the world. But let's go back to the U.S. right now. I want to ask you about like so reshoring is one way to improve uh, U.S. manufacturing base, right? So um, uh, what are other ways that you can think that American uh, companies can do to improve their manufacturing base and their productivity in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, so the, the standard answer is kind of just, just continue to innovate, continue to improve processes, continue to make and develop better products that more consumers want. Um, and, um, you know, and, and typically the, the early stage, uh, early life cycle production is typically close to headquarters. So assuming we're talking about U.S. headquartered companies, then we're talking about you know, that kind of innovation to, to, uh, to, to build up the, the base and then depending on what happens later life cycles where it makes sense to manufacture may. Okay. Uh, well, let me let me ask another question, which is again, timely question. So John, let's say our listeners are going into a Walmart store today, and then they are uh, uh, walking down the aisle, and you pick any product out of Walmart's aisle, any uh, consumer products, typically you see a made, made in China symbol associated to it. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, are all those products, do you think at any point, do you even have a chance of getting some of those manufacturing done here or are those last right now i mean like we don't need let's not worry about those kind of uh, uh, bring back campaign let's worry about campaigns as you mentioned where uh, the products are more innovative and you have more uh, requirements more customization required here yeah if you pro- if you have products that are cheap to sh- cheap to cheap to ship uh, relatively simple to manufacture um, not really huge lead time implications from from the business standpoint i, mean, I think those are those are going to and and labor intensive right um, those probably will continue to stay offshore. It just won't make sense uh, to to pay American workers to do that labor-intensive work if the customer doesn't need okay. um, need things things quickly. So, so our, our consumers are not going to see any radical change in five years from now, where a lot of their uh, common products that they have in Walmart is going to be made in USA. I don't think for the low-cost um, items in Walmart. Um, if consumers really do begin to change their behavior and as they're ordering things off Amazon or walking into retail stores, actually looking where the product is made and, and, and putting a value on that greater than they do today, then, then it'll happen in response to that. Um, and as I've said, for certain types of products and certain types of strategies, you're, you're seeing the, the reshoring or the, or the never going offshore. Uh, still being a very, very, very big uh, dimension. So, so one of the things that we actually talk a lot in our uh, we, uh, Master of Business and Operational Excellence, John, is this idea of additive manufacturing. So where uh, uh, um, we, we, we are seeing more and more of 3D printing kind of environment happening where you're making products that used to be made in an assembly line in a printer. Do you think those things will help uh, enable jo- some of these jobs to come back to the U.S.? Yeah, when 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 that technology gets mature enough that um, that three D printed products can be made at a, at a relatively cost competitive um, to to mass production, which I don't know that'll happen for certain types of products for a very very long time, but when that happens, yeah, then that that would be that would be a big win for manufacturing in the U S. But it wouldn't be the type of manufacturing that we all remember with with a lot of employees and and and, and a lot of labor. 
it's basically a, a process, right? An automated process. You also mentioned this in, in the earlier phase when you introduced yourself, John, you said you, you study quality risk. Mm-hmm. Is there anything related to reshoring that, that has association with quality? Yeah, risk? certainly a lot of anecdotes um, for reasons that people have reshored is due to quality challenge, challenges with their offshore uh, manufacturers and difficulty in resolving those and the expense of resolving those if they're not discovered until late. Because when you have an offshore manufacturer, you have a long supply chain and a lot of stuff in transit. So those are a couple of reasons that uh, quality would lead to to reshoring. Of course, there are some products probably that the highest quality in the world is is in China or, mm. or is, is offshore. So when I read your uh, bio, John, you, you did a study where you were looking at um, pharmaceutical companies and um, uh, whether, when they are making products in U.S. plants versus Puerto Rico plants. And you also have uh, an FDA grant right now looking at some of those uh, interesting challenges. Can you talk yeah. us a little bit about that? Sure. So, the, so the, the study with the Puerto Rican plants, that was just a context to try to look at language and cultural differences and, and, and geographic distance and how those impacted uh, quality risk. And we tried to match U.S. non-Puerto Rican plants to their Puerto Rican counterparts and did find a pretty dramatic uh, difference in, in quality risk uh, with Puerto Rico being a higher risk. We did another study with the whole world uh, of pharmaceutical plants and actually were able to find that even for plants located in the U.S., not Puerto Rico, having a foreign uh, owner, foreign, like European or Japanese typically uh, headquarters, related to lower quality, worse quality than uh, domestic plants, even, and even saw that after changes in ownership, which is really interesting. So we have pretty good evidence, I think, that, that uh, all else equal, be having an offshore facility um, increases quality risk. Um, and then the grant is to really look at more broadly at uh, the quality risk of pharmaceutical plants around the world. There's been a lot of issues uh, in, in India, actually, is one of the, the bigger issues, uh, bigger areas of issues with um, the drug supply chain uh, leading to drug shortages. So the FDA wants us to try to help them figure out, uh, get better uh, predictive models of when a quality risk or a shortage is coming. Oh, this is very interesting, John, yeah. because uh, this is one of the problems that we, we always wrestle upon is sometimes you have these supply chains that are distributed all around the world and uh, and you had a manager sitting in the u.s corporation but you have very limited visibility of what happens there so what you're finding is that again in those cases the chances of uh, having risk is higher especially if you don't have a proper cadence to manage what's going on in those plants right yeah and beyond that it seems that the driver is not the ge- geography but it's the culture and language so at some point between assuming there's some knowledge at headquarters about production and quality management and how to, how, to, how to run a plant with a low quality risk, which really is a mindset day-to-day thing where everybody's doing the right thing day and night. Somewhere that has to cross a culture and language barrier, either at the higher management level and then you have a local person be the plant manager or you, or you put an expat and plant manager, but somewhere there's this culture language barrier. And it seems like that's the thing that's really vexing for people. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's again, uh, can I say something yet again? Can I, can I toot my horn or not? You can delete it. <laughs> so, so that is that is a very interesting finding, John. Because again, you found this uh, in the context of manufacturing. I had another study where we looked at this problem um, in in the context of uh, product development and innovation, and we found very similar results. So, we were looking at uh, about fifty five different companies working on like these global products. Where uh, think about uh, making an MRI machine where uh, the machine is made in uh, one part of the world, the coding is done by another part of the world, 
and then uh, the assembly is done within a third country. What we found was exactly the same, that the more disconnects you have on the language, not on the distance between where these products are made, the more chances of you actually getting into some operational issues. Mm -hmm. So very, very timely and very relevant to what you're just finding, John. And just to even add to that, that, we've got a study with video game data and show that actually the, the language and culture differences relate to increased confidentiality risk, uh, meaning the game being released to the, to the trade before it's actually um, being released to the kind of illegal trade before oh, it's like actually Oh, the bootleg available. market, yeah, you mean. Yeah. Okay, so, when so it seems like, but again, it's language and not geography, so okay. it seems like that's the big issue. That's great, John. It so, might. John, I've been reading a lot about uh, companies manipulating their tariffs. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes, you mean companies kind of reacting to the expected tariffs or the tariffs yeah. that have already been implemented. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's, there, there's, a, you know, there are there are some winners with tariffs. Um, the, the companies directly affected by the tariffs, but um, there's also a lot of challenges that tariffs pose. Uh, one of the biggest ones is buyer-supplier relationships have been uh, hurt because uh, one company in the supply chain suddenly has higher costs and suddenly everything has to be renegotiated. And so there's been a lot of tension uh, in supply chains uh, with how to how to pass along or not pass along these tariffs. Um, other issues are, are, are companies have higher costs. So companies who are buying uh, from companies that are now protected by the tariffs are getting higher costs and uh, those costs again are finding their way to the consumers and potentially costing those companies competitiveness in other markets. Uh, that's, that's another challenge with tariffs. And then how people are reacting to tariffs, uh, some very interesting creative things are being done. One of the most common ones that I've heard about is companies sourcing from China are having maybe the last step now done in Vietnam, or planning to have the last step done in Vietnam to avoid the tariffs. Um, so there's, a, there's various strategies that are being employed okay. um, that mostly are kind of inefficiencies. In, in, in They're trying splashes. to bypass the system that way. Yeah, it's creating a lot of, a lot of strife and inefficiency um, in, in the market. Okay. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of There's a Better Way. To listen to our other episodes and for more information on the Master of Business and Operational Excellence, please visit go.osu.edu backslash M-B-O-E.